dear husband, I write you a loving farewell and my children. Give my kind love to mother, sister and all inquiring friends. Be good to the bairns. I hope you will forgive me as God will forgive me. Cursed White has done all this. She swore I had taken Siller, which was false, but they wrong everybody. I have nothing to live for. I have no friends in this world. Hello and welcome to the latest installment of Borders Blatherings, our podcast where we shine a light on the curious, the shadowy and often very magical history of the Scottish borderlands. Today, part three of our multi-part podcast, Murder in Style. Mary, hi. Hi. Hello. In parts one of this podcast, Murder in Style, because we're talking about events that took place in this very region where we live, mm-hmm. um, we laid out the, uh, I hesitate to use the word fact, <laughs> but <laughs> we laid out some of the main information about this tragic case of Eliza Clafton. In part two, we visited the location, which is near to where we live, and we began to raise a number of questions about the way events proceeded up yes, to yes. A lot and of before why. the trial. Yeah, a lot of, so why, a lot of why, why not, Absolutely. who, and, and so on. So we decided that maybe something that could shed some light on the way that events unfolded would be to look at the case against the backdrop of prevailing attitudes values and kind of social norms in the Victorian age. Yes, Victoriana, absolutely. That would make sense mm-hmm. to, to actually do that. That leads me to a rather curious thing. My own non-historian's understanding of Victorian times was, in simple terms, men had a voice mm-hmm. and women did not. Yes. And yet, at the trial, and we've talked about this a lot, one female does speak a lot, and that is the White's daughter, yes, Kirsty. young Kirsty. Could you expand a little bit on the status of women, the role of women, and the perception of women's rights? I'm thinking particularly someone like poor old Eliza, who we've all now discovered through the hundreds of documents you've, you've been rooting through, was illegitimate, mm-hmm. suffered from... Uh, some some socially inconvenient problem, medical mm. problems mm. and so on. Maybe things were just stacked against her from the get-go. Absolutely, the I'm, yes. I'm looking yes. at this. I mean, if you actually look at the Victorian era, which is a long era, obviously, because Victoria was on the throne for a long time. A long time, yeah. But actually, yeah. if you go back to the Georgian period, before she becomes queen, the thing with the Georgian period was, and these obviously are generalisations, but if you think of Hogarth, Everybody getting drunk on gin. Mm-hmm. Everybody having affairs. Everybody's got a mistress. It's all very bawdy and jolly and parties. Yeah, and yeah. who's your father? It doesn't matter. And who are you in bed with? And that doesn't matter. And how drunk are you? And that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. So you have several years of this through the various Georges, which is lots of fun at the time, but eventually it's sort of people get tired of it. And then... Victoria comes along and she is a virginal queen. And I mean a virginal queen because she's not married at that point. So she is this virginal young woman who is quite serious-minded 
Um, she comes to the throne talking about duty, talking about responsibility. Yeah. She is the ultimate perfect woman. She's the mother of the nation, and the mother is the ultimate perfect woman in the family. And she personifies all the positive values against all the Georgian having a good time, getting drunk, mm-hmm. jumping into baby and mistress stuff. So the very reign of Victoria itself starts off with this quite polarised and polarising morality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're either good or bad. You're Madonna or whore. Now, like all things, what people talk about and what people do behind closed doors is always two different things. Uh-huh. And Victorian yeah. Victorian life is built on hypocrisy. So women are Madonnas or whores. So you, you, you're a mother. You do not like sex. You don't talk about sex. You don't do sexual things. You don't do dirty things. That's when we start putting sex and dirtiness together. Uh-huh. Um, children are seen and not heard. Women do not speak. Men speak. Men speak in the parliament. There are no female politicians. Men speak in the courts. There are no female lawyers. Men speak in the hospitals. Mm-hmm. There are no female mm-hmm. doctors. Men run industry. There are very few women run industry. Curiously, in the Georgian period, there were lots of female businesswomen. But in the Victorian era, no. Men's worlds are out there and talking and doing. Women's role is in the home being a mother. And that is your role. And if you're not a mother, then there's something wrong with you. Ah, now I'm going to be simplistic here. So what you're saying, this is very simplistic, but if something goes wrong, whatever that is, it's the woman's fault. Oh, absolutely. That's the other problem is that all of morality is heaped onto women. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to be talking about sex a lot. Sex is really key here. So women are not supposed to enjoy sex. Okay, you're supposed to lie back and think of Scotland or lie back and think of England or lie back and think of wherever you are. Okay. You're there to have babies, and sex is an unfortunate thing that you have to do mm. to get the babies, okay? But sex is not for women. However, men are allowed to enjoy sex, and men are supposed to enjoy sex. For example, fathers will take their 16-year-old sons to the local brothel on their birthdays, yeah, yeah. okay? So some <laughs> women must be having sex. <laughs> That's the hypocrisy. You know, you see, so there's the hypocrisy. Yep, yep. So you're a married man. Mm-hmm. And you may have sex with your wife to have babies, one, two, ten, twenty babies, however many you want. But to have sexual enjoyment, you go with the local whore. And that's what you do. Mm. So women are either mothers or whores. So it's completely hypocritical. But the women, the mother holds morality together. And this is incredibly important in a single house, like Eliza's house, all the way out to the British Empire. Because the British Empire, of course, is also built on hypocrisy because what we say is we're going to go to South Africa or we're going to go to India and we're going to civilise the place uh-huh. and yeah. make the place better and make the place better for you know the local people. Um, but actually what we're doing is we're going out there to rob them blind. Yeah. But we don't say that. So what you do is you give that a veneer of civilization by the women that go out to these areas. Which is why, actually, if you sort of leap forward about 100 years, the class system in India, the class system in South Africa, uh-huh. held on a lot held longer yes. than it did in Britain, whereas after the First World War, we were just saying we're not listening to the upper classes anymore because of what they did. But the problem is that Eliza is in 1871. It's the height of the Victorian era. Mm-hmm. And as the mother, she is responsible for what happens in that house. 
So if, for example, Samuel is straying in some way and having an affair, that's her fault. Not Samuel's fault. He's a man. He can't help it. It's her her fault fault. Mm -hmm. for not keeping control of the family. If she is smelly because she is incontinent and she's maybe only got a couple of changes of clothes and the urine smell is in her clothes, that's her fault. She's dirty. If she is stealing soap because she's desperate to keep herself clean. But how convenient that it's soap. Yes. How convenient. So she's desperately trying to keep herself clean, (coughs) obviously. Yeah. But she's stealing. So it's her fault Mm -hmm. she's stealing. So everything that she does Mm -hmm. reflects, but everything Samuel does reflects. And then you, you go from a single house out to a local community. You don't want somebody in your community who is sexually promiscuous. That looks bad on the community. Yeah. You don't want somebody stealing soap out of your shop because that reflects badly on your shop. You don't want somebody that doesn't go to the Church of Scotland on a Sunday because oh, that reflects badly <laughs> on the community. Yes. So yes. all this gets ladled onto Eliza's head. Yeah. If Samuel yeah. doesn't go to the church on a Sunday, oh, he's a man, you know what they're like. If Eliza doesn't go, why is she not going to the church? That's yeah. terrible. She should be at the church. She should be at the church with her children. Yeah. So everything gets dumped on her. Mm-hmm. But going back to the point you mentioned initially, she's not allowed to speak. She can't say, it's not my fault Samuel's straying if he is or he isn't. She can't say that. Well, one, you can't say it because it reflects badly on you, but women don't speak. They're not allowed to speak. She can't say anything. She can't say, oh, I'm really sorry, but I need this soap because actually I've got this bladder <coughs> problem because mm. we don't talk about women's bits, of course, because yep. that's <laughs> too close to sex. Yep. Again, yep. women don't yep. speak. They are silent. They are mothers. They are guardians of morality. Yeah. And that's a huge amount to lay on Eliza, especially as Eliza herself is the product of sin. Yeah. And she knows it. The neighbours might not know it, but she, she knows, knows it. it. She herself, her very existence mm. is the result of sin. But she can't talk about it. She cannot speak about that because women's voices are completely silenced. And it is interesting that of all the things that Eliza does, she slices her own throat. And with a sliced throat, you cannot speak. Yeah. And that's, that's the basis of this heavy-handed Victorian morality that is pressing down on Eliza all the time. Yeah, yeah. And silence is a major part of this for me. You know where my, my sentiments Lie is with poor Eliza because I I I think she was given a raw deal here mm, very yep, much yep. and in a later part we'll perhaps be able to present an alternative view of how things may have played out yeah. in this tragic case yeah silence weighs heavily upon this silence and collusion I I would argue silence in the sense of who doesn't give evidence at her trial mm-hmm. silence in the sense of no one seems to hear. Mm-hmm. Uh, when the deed is said to have been done, no one hears children cry out. No one hears the argument in the shop when, when mm-hmm. Eliza is in the shop with Kirsty. And no one at the trial, on either the, the, the prosecution or the defence side, asks what we, the questions we have been asking. Mm-hmm. No one, no one, there's a lot of silence about why Mr. White went to the mill to meet Samuel, why they spent an hour and a half together. No one asked the question, what did you talk about? What did you talk about, yeah. It's all about silence. Yeah. 
And yeah, and you're right though that the only person that is speaking is Kirsty. It's Kirsty. And that's interesting in and of itself because of course, as I said earlier in the, the previous podcast, the, these are professional barristers that are hanging yep. on her every word. Normally no she's a shop girl and yep. she might think she's a cut above and kill yet. But when she's sitting in the chambers in Edinburgh, when she's up in the High Court in Edinburgh, she's a shop girl, for goodness sake. And mm. yet there's all these men hanging on her every word. So I think that's why she's playing it out. One of the reasons why she's playing it out as much as she can, because her voice is being heard. Because women did not speak. Mm. You know, even in the Penny Dreadfuls, I'm convinced that, that Kirsty Red. You mentioned the, that in an the, earlier episode. The plots yeah, yeah. and the characters are all driven <clears throat> by the men. Yep. And the women who get raped or the women who get murdered in the Penny Dreadfuls get raped and get murdered because they are immoral women. It's like the modern, you know, if you watch the modern horror movies and there'll mm. be a, a couple of teenagers and they're up to no good and one of them gets bumped off because they've been up to no good. It's a morality tale. Yep. The penny dreadfuls were exactly the same. Mm. The the mill girl that doesn't behave herself and goes with the boys when she shouldn't. She gets murdered. Well, it's her own fault. She shouldn't have been hanging about with the mill lads. Or the, the lassie that runs away from home and <coughs> defies her father yep. and gets raped. Yep. It's her own silly it's her own fault. fault. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like the old thing. People will say things like, why did that girl go down that dark alleyway? It's their own fault she got raped. Nobody ever asks why the rapist does the raping. Mm. It's victim blaming. It's a very early form of victim yeah. blaming. And that's the Victorian morality because if the women, if the mother isn't holding the home together, then what is? Because the men are not. Because the men are doing all sorts of dodgy things. Because And, and Victorian men knew they were doing all sorts of dodgy things. Mm-hmm. They knew yeah. Yeah. the rich Victorian industrialists knew that they were rich by exploiting their workers. They knew that. That's not a Christian value. They claim to be a Christian nation. We claim, you know, Victorian and Christianity. But you know in your heart of hearts that the reason you're as rich as you are is because you don't pay your workers properly. And links with empire. Or the mine owners, or the shipbuilders, or the guys that are going out and and being horrible to people (laughs) in India or South Africa or any of our other colonies. So we know... The reality is that these men that are running the empire are being horrible to all sorts of people all over the place. Mm. So you need that veneer of civilization. You need that veneer of morality. So you put that on the shoulders of women. <clears throat> and they have to be there so that it's, it's positive. You have to go to the church on a Sunday. You have yeah. to do all the right thing. It's the appearance of, of good. Eliza can't say to somebody... I am incontinent because we don't talk about our bodies because mm. our bodies are dirty. Yeah. So Eliza can't go to her neighbour's house for afternoon tea in case she needs to go to the toilet because then she has to go to ask to use the privy at the bottom of the garden and it's all very embarrassing and you don't talk about these things. It's so what's it's not said. A, a total sense of isolation on, on, yes. on her part. And then, of course, in the, in the 1870s, what you get is you get what's known as the Great Christian Revival. Uh-huh. And because we were doing all of these horrible <clears throat> things, because there were people dying in the street of starvation, because there were people in India and Africa being treated abysmally, the churches were a bit, getting a bit sort of worried about our Christian morality. So they have this great revival and there are churches all over the place. Yeah, yeah. And in Stow, you've got the Church of Scotland and you've got the United Presbyterians and you've got the Wee Frees. 
But what you end up with is religious cants. Because women don't speak in church. (laughs) Only men speak in church. And what they do is they preach morality, which just puts an even heavier burden Mm -hmm. on women like Eliza. Because she has to be good, because the only other thing, if she's not going to be a Madonna, the only other thing she can be is a whore. Yeah. That, that's, that's your, that's your job choices as a woman in Victorian Britain. Madonna or whore, take your pick. And, and, and for those women that ended up as whores, I actually think they had a slightly easier life. Yep. Because they didn't have this weight of hypocritical morality on their shoulders. Admittedly, they had a horrible life and they were poor and they had disease and they had men beating them up. But from a psychological point of view, it might have been slightly better to choose to be a whore than to be a Madonna. Yes, yes, yes. Because you cannot do anything other than than act in a very, very tiny, narrow, constrained band of behaviour that is allowed to you. And it doesn't even stop, no matter what age you are. Mm. You know, you... You as a young woman, you have to get married and have babies. And then as a mother, you have to bring up your children properly and take care of your husband. And then as a grandmother, you have to make sure that your daughter marries the right one and that your children are okay. You know, this is constant. Men can go to work. Men can go and get drunk. Men can go with a local whore. Men can have a great old time. Men go gamble and... And people will tut tut at it. Mm -hmm. But it's a bit of a sort of, you know, lads will be lads. Boys boys will be boys. boys. And I, I don't wish to take where we're going in a different direction, but you know, I've said to you off mic a few times that I, I think we are on the cusp of a second Victorian age here in Britain because of this. You, you, you're talking about those who deserve and those, you know, the deserving and the undeserving. Oh, poor absolutely, and, and yes. It, it, it seems that it's, you know, the old, uh, what do they say? The, the, the strivers and the skyvers and yes. the, the, the binary view of society. Around the time of, of, of these tragic events, the, the 1870s, how did the class system look? Was it the same as we kind of have today with a simple three or four tiers? Or was it much more complex than it that? It was much more complex than that. Uh-huh. So you got the top layer, you got the, the royalty and aristocracy, they're doing their own thing. They don't care, they've got the money, you can sort of... You've got the poor old middle classes who are always striving, <laughs> striving to be better. And the middle class, you've got the upper middle class who are usually businessmen, industrialists. And what they want is they want to work so hard that they end up being given a knighthood uh-huh. or, or so that they can join the aristocracy. Then you've got the middle middle classes who are the quite well-off ones. They're trying to push themselves up to being captains of industry. You've got the poor old lower middle class and they are desperately trying to prove that they're not working class and they're over middle class. And um, often these are the people that have, you know, houses and the front parlours got aspidistras and this and that and the next thing and there'll be no carpet in the back bedroom because it's all for show. Look, we're not working class, we're not working class. And then you get the working class. And then the working class divide into so many categories. Mm. You've got the top end of the working class, which is craftsmen. And artisans, specialist weavers, okay? Un- the, unlike Samuel. Uh, unlike Samuel, unlike he's Samuel. not in this, okay? And these <laughs> are working class people who have a reasonable standard of living. They're not living life on the edge. Then you have the ones below them who are general workers. And they're just about getting by. 
And that's where Samuel and Eliza are probably sitting in about yeah. there because he's got yeah. regular work in the mill. But they are still probably living week to week. It won't take much for them to fall. No, she's getting credit in the in the mm, white shop. Yeah, so, so they're not quite making ends meet. <laughs> and then you've got the real working poor who are day labourers and they literally are living hand to mouth. Mm-hmm. And then below them, you've got the people who are destitute yeah. and who are living on the parish, either in what was known as indoor or outdoor relief. And that's the problem the for Eliza. The difference being where one was born and where mm, one lived? No, 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 no. Indoor relief is when you go into the poorhouse. Outdoor relief <coughs> is out. Okay, now, yeah. very few people wanted to go into the poorhouse sure. because, first things first, it is shameful. You didn't provide for your family. You're having to go to the poorhouse. Yeah. That's a disgrace. Again, this <coughs> Christian morality, you're supposed to be able to stand in your own two feet. Yeah. Why can't you take care of yourself? So it's a last resort to go into the poor house because mothers and fathers are divided yeah. and children are taken away from their parents. And if you're not careful, you'll end up in a Dickens novel. Exactly. Outdoor relief was where you weren't in the poor house, but you were getting money from the parish, uh-huh. as it were. Yeah. But you've got to have a really, really good case. So what you have to do is you have to go to the local parochial board and say, I am down on my luck. <laughs> Please may I have some money. You get down on your knees, say you're down on your In luck. In some cases you uh, did. Yeah, Literally yeah, get down on yeah, your knees. Yeah. So you'd better not be a man. Very, very few men got outdoor relief because yeah, it's a case of yeah. go and get a job, you lazy so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Widows and orphans got a little bit of relief. Mm-hmm. Let's say Eliza's had enough of Samuel, whatever's going on in that marriage. She decides to walk away. She can't. Where can she go? Where can she go? If she goes to the poor house, then she's separated from her children. Mm -hmm. If she asks for outdoor relief, they're going to say, where's your husband? Oh, I left him. Oh, you left your husband. Mm -hmm. You wicked woman. Yep. And in a way, she's almost not allowed to speak because they already have the box of the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. So it's a case of, why are you here? I left my husband. She's instantly put into the undeserving poor box. Now, she could say, my husband is having affairs all round Kilichet. My husband is beating me. My husband doesn't provide for me. doesn't matter. She's not allowed to speak. She's But we have discovered he has a history, (laughs) to some extent. Yes. We believe. Yeah. Down yeah. in Dukesbury, yep. where this young lady may or yep. may have not yep. had a child to him. He says absolutely not. Yep. Who knows? Yeah. But even if he has, if Eliza says all of that, first of all, they're not going to let her speak because it's, have you got a husband? Yes. Right, out the door. Go mm. away. Did, have you left your husband? So she can't explain. Let's say Samuel is the worst husband in the world, Right. They're not going to listen to that story. And even if they do, they're mm-hmm. then going to turn yeah. around and say, well, what did you choose him for? Your fault. If your husband is strained from home, your fault. Your husband beats you, you must have given him a reason. Your husband doesn't provide for you, well, you should have chosen a better husband in the first place. So Eliza just has to stand there if she were to... You know, there's nothing she can do. <clears throat> there's not. It's so a no-win. If she, yeah, no, yeah, we don't yeah. know. Perhaps she had, had a perfect marriage with Samuel. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But if she were to leave, yeah. there is nothing she can do. There's nowhere for her to go. She's not going to get any help because of that Victorian morality. You chose that man to marry. And the other thing, of course, is we know that Eliza's illegitimate. Yeah. So she's a product of sin. So she's in a bad pile straight away. 
We also know that she ran away from Leslie in Fife with Samuel when he was still going under the name John Smith he was and still she in an wasn't yeah. married yeah. to yeah. him. She left <coughs> her mother's house with a man when she wasn't married. Now, that's going to put her in the whore box. Yeah. She needs to get out the whore box and into the Madonna box, if she can, so they get married in Selkirk. So she's she's managed it. She's managed to jump into the Madonna box, and she's had two children, so she's now the mother. That's fine. She's the mother Madonna. Yeah. But that's it. That's the box she's chosen. There is nothing else she can do. Yeah, yeah. And that's Victorian morality. That's that's great. And and I asked you about the, the social stratification, the, the, the class mm. system, as it were. Because one thing that, that maybe I've learned from you there then, the whites, and Mr. White in particular, as a provisions merchant. Yes. He then, if, if, if I understand what you're saying, he actually has significant status within the community. Oh, yes. He might not have a huge amount of money, <coughs> but he is, he, is at the top of the working class. He's maybe just yeah. easing into the bottom layer of the lower middle class. This is somehow important. And it's hugely important. Because if, for example, Kirsty had been just a shop girl, as I called her earlier, I don't (laughs) know if she would have been listening to it, but she's the daughter daughter of of Robert White. She is a cut above. She's at least one level, if not two levels, above Eliza. So her voice can slightly be heard more than Eliza's voice who's not heard. I mean, if you think about everything that we have read through, Eliza says so little. Correct. Because nobody wants to hear from her. Because she was in the Mother Madonna box. Well, she's killed her children. She's now most definitely out of that box again. Yeah. yeah. And the only other box she can be in is whore, because those are the only yeah. two boxes you're allowed to be in. Yeah. And she has committed the ultimate sin. She herself is a product of sin. She's illegitimate. And now she has committed the ultimate sin. She's killed her children. We don't want to hear her voice, even if she could speak. We're not interested. We are not interested in anything she has to say because she is this wicked, wicked woman or she's this mad, mad woman, whichever one she is. We're not listening to her voice. So these prevailing values and attitudes and so on, that kind of explains why they get to trial. And it's a straightforward is she mad or is she mad? Yes. It, it becomes a very binary yes, because exercise. there can be no other explanation. There is no other explanation. And that yeah. informs the police sergeant, the police cousin. It might explain why, I remember in the last episode, we talked about the fact that when they were listed as co-accused, yeah. Eliza's name went first and then Samuel's. And we said that was slightly That's unusual. strange. Because Sergeant Milne believes this about women. The Madonnas are whores. I, th- I think so. Yeah. She... Every, well, everybody believes this. It's not yeah. just Sergeant Mill. Absolutely everybody believes this. Yeah. So if he, if that is his mindset, which it is, mm-hmm. and there are murdered children, and possibly the parents are involved, she is more guilty than Samuel. Mm-hmm. Even if Samuel did it at that point. She is more, she guilty, is more guilty because yeah. she is yeah. the mother. Yeah. So instantly that goes down. When she is looked at by the doctors, she is instantly more guilty, even if Samuel is still a co-accused yeah. at that point. Yeah. By the time we get up to the barristers in Edinburgh, she is guilty. At no point from what I have read did any defence barrister say to Eliza, did you actually do it? Mm-hmm. You know how you've said, I have no memory of touching the children? What do you mean by that? Do you, do you mean you didn't do They all automatically said, mother, dead children. Therefore, it's her fault. There are cases of women being arrested 
Victorian women being arrested when their children died accidentally. And they're arrested because you should have been taking care of your children. Yeah, yeah. There are cases <coughs> of Victorian children out with their father. They fall and they have an accident and the mother is yelled at. Not the father who yeah. was physically with the child at the time. Yeah. It's the mother's fault, no matter what. But they don't speak to her because if you believe that, mm-hmm. if you believe that women are always either the perfect mother, and of course it's not helped by the fact that Victoria, Queen Victoria, is popping out babies every other year. <laughs> yeah. You know, and she is the ultimate mother of the nation. She is the mother of the empire. She's going to become, you know, Empress of India. She's the mother of the nation. She's popping babies yeah. out all over the place. Yeah. She is the perfect woman and actually very, very seldom spoke. Now, Victoria, obviously, because she was queen, she could speak. But how many public speeches did she actually make? Very, very few. Because even though she's the queen, and even though she's the mother of the nation, she doesn't speak. Do you think she ever said, one or we are not amused? Probably not. (laughs) But if you think think of it, I mean, we have got tons of examples of the speeches of Disraeli and Palmerston and all the rest of it. She doesn't speak. So she is the perfect mother. She is perfect because she is the mother to the princes and princesses. She's the perfect mother because she's the mother of the nation. She's the perfect mother because she's the mother of the millions in the empire. And she's the perfect mother because she doesn't say anything. Yeah. yeah. There is silence all over, all this, over this. This, this case. Yeah. Yes. And of course, you, you, we, we talked about the, the timeline, we still can't get to the bottom of that in terms of... And, and one thing that, that I think we need to raise again in terms of silence was what you called the smoking gun yes. yesterday, which could have been introduced at the trial. Yes. The police evidence. Yes. But I still can't... I have looked at that timeline again, and I cannot find a point in that timeline that she changed her where mind. Sergeant Milne yeah. is alone with Eliza for yeah. her to say... say that. I changed my mind. Because there were people all around all the time. And and yet at some point he's on his own with her and he says this. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, really? Because he comes into the house, her throat is cut. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds awful here, but how can she speak? Mm -hmm. She's literally cut her own throat. Now, I don't know if she had or had not cut her vocal cords, mm. but I'm presuming she's in a reasonable amount of pain. Yeah. She's got a throat cut. She may have cut into her vocal cords. She may have cut into her trachea and all these different things. How is she physically able to speak? So, again, I'm not quite sure. As I say, I've looked, yeah, I've looked at that timeline and I can't find out a, a space for him to be with her on her own for her to say, yeah. I changed my mind. Because if he had been questioning her, yeah. that's fine. You, you would guess it, you would say. Note. It yeah. says, take good care of the bears. Uh-huh. And then she somehow is able to say, I changed my I mind. I changed my mind. But that surely would come in, you would have something saying, I was questioning the prisoner. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, but, but yeah. I haven't got anything like that. Uh-huh. The other one that I'm not sure we spoke about before was the fact that he asks um, PC Barr to keep an eye on Eliza. Yes. That's the first uh-huh. night, okay? Doesn't he ask him to keep an eye on Samuel? Mm-hmm. Samuel's a co-accused at that point. Yeah, but it can't have been Samuel, you see. This is this is where we're leading. The, everything leads in a particular direction. Yeah. 
So let's I mean, forget everything else. Samuel's precognition statement is quite, you know, it's full of rubbish. He says it's so quite much. Wrong, right? yeah. Eliza, there's nothing there. She doesn't speak because nobody asks her to speak. Yeah. Nobody, nobody says to her, okay, let's say she did it. Okay, she's mad or bad. She did it. Mm-hmm. Why? Wow. Why'd you do it? Mm-hmm. Why did you, why did you write that in your suicide note? <coughs> then change your mind. Yeah. Then kill yourself. Yeah. And which child did you slice first? Was it, was it Isabella or was you it Daniel? You want to know this. Um, surely. Why did you choose the razor? Why yeah. did you not use laudanum? Yeah. Why? She doesn't speak. They don't ask her. They don't want to hear from her mm-hmm. because they don't need to hear from her. But, oh, well, we've got wee Kirsty. Oh, okay, right, fine. What have you got to say for yourself? Yeah. And she speaks and speaks and speaks. And that's it. Even even the mill workers that speak, it's predominantly men that are called to give evidence. And they'll say things like, oh, yeah, Samuel turned up for his shift at 7 in the morning or yeah. I saw Samuel that afternoon. Um, there are a couple of female neighbours asked a couple of questions, but they're not but interested. Not they want to no. hear the voices of the men. They want to hear it's, the men. The trial is all about... Victorian doctors, and of course, again, Victorian doctors are in some ways holders of morality. Yes. And when they start talking about lactation and they start talking about women's bodies, we're getting into dangerous territory because we don't want to talk about that because we might have to talk about things like sex and we don't want to talk about sex. Mm. So we won't mention that, but we'll mention lactation up to a point. We'll talk about mental excitation up to a point. Uh But again, you see, even being mad in Victorian society was shameful because how yeah. dare you? <laughs> you know, like if you're poor, it's, it, it is shameful to be poor in Victorian society. You should be able to take care of yourself. Mm-hmm. It is shameful to be dirty. Yeah. You should be able to afford a bar of soap. You can I afford a bar of soap yeah. is a common trope, right? It is shameful to steal. It is shameful for your husband to stray. It is shameful for you to be mad. Why aren't you a good Christian and being And on top of that, you are illegitimate. And Uh, it is incredibly shameful to be illegitimate. So Eliza's got all of this piling on her shoulders. Uh And because she's not local, and because she doesn't go to the Kirk of Scotland on a Sunday, or if she does, she's not a Kirk member, she's got nobody to talk to. Her mother, her sister, her aunt, all of these individuals are presumably still up in five. She's got no friends. She says it in her suicide note. I've got no friends. She's got nobody to talk to. The only person that seems to have been, from what I've read, a little bit friendly with her was Mrs. White. And now she's now saying, look, I stop us speaking to this, whatever she meant by this. Whatever is meant by that. That that from the linguistic point of view, that that um, and of course this this is. Yeah, Mrs. White, of course, is in a sort of equal position to Eliza because she's the mother in that household. Mm. So Mrs. White has to make sure that there is no shame landing on her door Mm -hmm. for whatever has happened. So whatever argument Kirsty and Eliza did or didn't have in the shop, it has to be around soap. It has to be around something clean because no shame can affix themselves to the whites. So yeah, because the only the only light that shines on the whites mm-hmm. is this incident in the shop, which with, we have Kirsty White's soap, testimony of. With, with soap. the soap. And yeah. soap is because cleanliness is next to godliness. Yeah. Yeah. So you're going to stress that. The fact that Eliza might have been trying to nick tea, well, oh, we're not really bothered about that, right. or trying to nick yeah. silver, no, it's about soap so that Mrs. White can see 
this is about cleanliness, the argument happens and then Kirsty goes and shouts on her mother because her mother hasn't heard this argument for some reason. Her mother comes downstairs and she puts things to rights. Yeah. A stop has to be put to this Eliza. Now, is it the stealing? Is it something else? We ah, don't know. Yeah. But Mrs. White is saying, look, I am the moral centre of the White family. I am stopping this. Yeah. Previously, I had that woman in to do washing, another cleanliness thing. I allowed her to buy bread on credit. That's a normal thing. Bread is wholesome. You talk about the bread of heaven. Yeah. So that's a wholesome yeah. thing. It's a Christian thing. Anything else, we are not talking about it. We're not talking about why she's buying soap or, or stealing soap or taking soap or whatever she's doing with soap. But soap is a mark of cleanliness. I am Mrs. White. This is nipped in the bud. It might actually explain, in a way, why Mr. White goes along to the mill to speak to Samuel. Because Mrs. White might have said, you need to go along to the mill, get this sorted. Mm. Get this sorted now. Get it away from my house. I'm a respectable woman in this neighbourhood. I don't want it anywhere near me. Which would explain why Mr. White goes to the mill, but doesn't explain why they came back to the White's house. Mm. Unless it was to reassure Mrs. White that none of this was attached to her and her family. Thank you very much. That's true. But I believe that the this that Mrs. White is said to allude to in, mm-hmm. in Kirsty's testimony is not stealing. This it's not is my stealing. belief. It's yep. not about stealing. It might it's be about something else. else. Yep. But that's fine. As far as Mrs. White's concerned, whatever this whatever is, this is, get it stopped. I'm respectable. My husband and I are respectable. This is reputational damage. Absolutely. This has to be stopped Because she's now. the Victorian mother of the White family. Absolutely. Yeah. Because remember, yeah. in the White's household, there's a two-year-old grandson Mm. Now this is this is an interesting this little is interesting. issue. Yeah. So you've got Mr. and Mrs. White there in their early fifties. They've got a son who's also Robert. There's a lot of Roberts in here, so yeah. they're a bit confusing. So there's Robert Junior. We're going to call him. He's in his late twenties, mm. and then there's Kirsty, who's about fifteen, and then there's a grandson who's yes. also called Robert. We're calling him Baby Robert. Okay. Now, if Baby Robert is the son of Robert Junior, uh-huh. yeah then Robert Jr. should have a wife in that household. You would imagine. There is no wife. If Robert Jr.'s wife has died, then Robert Jr. would be listed as a widower in the census. He's not. Not. Mm -hmm. Which makes me think that baby Robert is not the child of Robert Jr. Robert Jr. Mm -hmm. Baby Robert could be the child of Kirsty. Uh Because if you have an illegitimate child that is not claimed by its father, it takes the second name of the mother. Now, if that's true, then Mrs. White is desperately trying to sort out her family morality because it's not too great either. It's a little bit (coughs) on the suspect side. Now, I don't know, but I cannot account for that grandchild. I looked at the census 10 years on after Mm -hmm. this had happened Robert Jr. has left the household. Uh He hasn't taken baby Robert with him. Now, you would think if that was his son, he would have taken baby Robert with him. Hmm. Baby Robert's still living in the house with Kirsty and Mr. and Mrs. White. So, I don't know for definite, but I suspect that baby Robert might actually be Kirsty's, in which case, 
Christy White is not the Snow White that maybe she wants to well, portray this, herself this as. This knocks them with a horror analogy on uh, the it head. It does a bit, right. <laughs> Which is probably why <coughs> Mrs. White is so desperate. Because yeah, her yeah, family's yeah, reputation yeah. is a little bit wobbly. Yeah. She can't afford anything else. Even if Eliza and Kirsty are arguing about a silly wee piece of soap, she doesn't care. She doesn't want any arguments in her shop because mm. she doesn't want the neighbours going past and the back of six at night going, oh, there's something going on in the white shop. Wonder what it is. Oh, and you know, they've got that grandchild and gossip, 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 gossip. So all the weight of that Victorian morality is now pressing That's, down on the whites. You got it in one because it's much more than reputational damage. There, there is so much. Yes. To lose for the yes, wife. because they're not the only shop in the neighbourhood. On, yeah. on a purely yeah. practical level, yeah. people can go to other shops, but much more importantly, the shame of yeah. something having happened in the shop. Yeah. Because if you actually think about what Kirsty's saying, Kirsty talks about all the you know bells and dogs and all this nonsense, uh-huh. but it's almost distancing the whites from what happened. Yeah. My mother came down and told her uh, a stop had to be put to this. And then she left the shop. And then my dad went to the, went to the, the mill the away mill. along there. Yeah. And then he went to their house. And, the, you know, so it's going away, going away, going yeah, away. Absolutely. Mrs. White is pushing all of this away from her front door. She doesn't mm. want any of this near her mm. at all. And things like, oh, we had Eliza around a few times for, for social events. And that's, oh, that's just a throwaway comment. Uh-huh. Or she did the washing. Oh, well, not really. You know, we're backtracking about how friendly we are with this woman who's yeah. done this horrible deed with these children because Mrs. White's got to protect her family. All of that's on her shoulders because it's interesting. And that's the motherly role. Yep. Yeah. When Kirsty finishes the argument with Eliza, she goes out of the room and shouts up the stairs for her mother, not for her father. Not for the father. Somebody's found... Stealing in your shop. Mm-hmm. They may even have stolen silver out the, the till. I don't think she did, but that's suspicious. You'd call on your father to come down and say, how dare you, and throw you out the shop. But it's not, it's the mother mm. Kirsty calls good, on. Good point. It's the mother. Good point. Because this is, this is female business. Morality, shame, degradation. Victorian morality is female's work. It's women's work. Mary, I think really great. And I think that was a really good idea for this episode to look at this against the background of Victorian values. Indeed. Because we have struggled with a lot of information. We have been asking a lot of questions about how this played out. And I think now knowing all of this Victorian morality... It explains, not exactly, it doesn't excuse, but it explains yeah. some of the behaviours yeah. of the police, yeah. of the doctors, of the, the, the barristers, yeah. of the witnesses, yes. and how they are desperately trying yes. to say things. It explains the silence in the White's testimony. Good because we don't yeah. want to talk about what's actually happened. It's just it happened, and then it, it's nothing to do with us. Nothing yeah. to do with us. And the, 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 the voice of men is just so, apart from Kirsty. Who yes, for me, is central to this whole thing. Yeah, uh, it explains that very much. Now, are we going to go ahead with? There are there are a couple of things come to mind at the moment. We haven't yet shared the the verdict in no this this, this murder trial uh, for for good reason. Are we going to go ahead in in part four 
with perhaps now with everything that we do know, and thanks to you, well, you 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 you've sat through hundreds and hundreds of documents. <laughs> yes, uh, and I, I I appreciate that. Are we going to go ahead with two things? One is, I think, to present what we feel may have been an alternative scenario. Yeah, and, and yeah. that might help us to answer some of the questions we raised. Yes, and then I think what is very interesting is the aftermath. Yes. What happened to all what these people? What happened to... Because I'm worried about what happened to Eliza yes. and to the kids. Um, should we do that? So we add another couple so. of, of parts episodes, to absolutely. this yeah. Let's. Um, before we run that off. Yeah. Because uh, I know I know you said yesterday or the day before, it, you're getting cross-eyed looking at all these documents. But I, I do believe that we've really, we're beginning to shine a light on on something that was community collusion and I, I don't think the real story emerged. Yes, let's let's meet again and record another episode telling a potential different story. I, I think it's potential. We cannot know. But we've looked at so many records now that um, some of these questions have been answered. Indeed. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm.